Hi, this is Ryan Miner. Thank you for listening to a Minor Detail podcast. Over the next several weeks of the Annapolis Legislative Session, this show will be broadcasting live from the iconic Harry Brown's restaurant on State Circle. Speaking of Harry Brown's, on March 3rd, a Minor Detail is celebrating its fifth birthday. I want to personally invite you to join myself and Maryland Comptroller Peter Francho, who will be our special guest, to celebrate our fifth birthday. The fun begins at 6 o'clock p.m. That's Tuesday, March 3rd at Harry Brown's in Annapolis. I certainly hope you can make it. While you're at it, you can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, CastBox, or anywhere you download your podcast. And be sure to check out a Minor Detail podcast at a aminordetailpodcast.com. If you like what you hear in the episode, or maybe you hate it, I don't know, I want to know. Email me your feedback at ryan at aminordetail.com. This week, I interviewed Delegate Michelle Guyton on her bill that would criminalize psychological abuse on a vulnerable adult at the behest of a caregiver. This conversation is personal to me. Here's what we discussed. Delegate Michelle Guyton, you are, you're, you're a sophomore in your first term, and you were elected in 2018, and you were elected in somewhat of a tough district. For a Democrat. I I was. Is that fair to say? I think it is. Well. I think it is. I, I think um, what I found, though, was going door to door and really talking and meeting so many people that we all really care about the same thing. So it's all about having a conversation like you and I are doing right now. And uh, even those who traditionally always vote Republican, we found that we agreed on many more things than we disagreed on. And I, I think that's what makes, you know, and you democracy work. And you are from Baltimore County. I am. And well, who was the inco- was there an incumbent that you ousted? No, no, I did not. Actually, there were two empty seats in our oh. district, so it's a two districts, uh, two district, two seat district, uh, and uh, Chris West mm-hmm. moved to the Senate, and Sue Allman retired. So it was really just kind of up for grabs. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I asked you to come on because there's a piece of legislation during this session and last session that you had sponsored. It's H- House Bill 33. They, you provided testimony last week before the House Judiciary Committee. This bill is all about making it a criminal penalty in the event that someone who is over the age of 18, who has a full-time caretaker, is inflicted with severe emotional abuse. Did I state that correctly? You did a good job. Yeah, actually, uh, I did introduce this last year as well. I actually withdrew it from the Judiciary Committee. It was my first year. I am a psychologist by training, so that's a little background to the bill and why I understand and recognize the seriousness of um, psychological and emotional abuse as being often more difficult than uh, physical abuse. So... I introduced it last year, withdrew it to work with lawyers and the state's attorney's office and the Maryland State Bar and all of those um, who could make it sound more like a legal document than a psychological document. So that that was my goal. And uh, I think we've done that this year, and I've gotten really good responses from people and feel that uh, hopefully this will be the year that we get it passed. Well, tell me about the bill itself. Sure. And let's walk through... What happened last session? You introduced this. Did it go before the House Judiciary Committee? Sure. We did have an initial hearing on the bill, which went fairly well. But I realized after talking to all the legal minds that are involved in the Judiciary Committee that there were a lot of questions they had about wording and about how we would actually 
prosecute this as a criminal offense, which is what this bill does. It makes emotional distress, infliction of intentional and malicious emotional distress towards a vulnerable adult, which is um, an elderly person or anyone over 18 who can't care for their own daily needs and generally has a caregiver. That can be a family member or that can be someone in, you know, in a residential facility. Um, they're already protected from, from physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, and neglect. But we do not, in the state of Maryland, and this makes us different from a lot of other states, we do not recognize the severity of emotional and psychological distress for this population. And that's something that was brought to me by constituents last year. It was actually my first bill that I introduced as a new delegate because of constituents who, as soon as I was, probably actually before I was elected, while I was knocking on doors, started asking me to pay particular attention to particularly their elderly family members um, who had had terrible experiences. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. And backing up even further, mm -hmm. many people, especially in your position, have a narrative behind why they introduce certain pieces of legislation, whether it be a personal uh, issue that affected your family. It could be directly from your constituents in Baltimore County, or it could be even in your practice where you are administering care to people and you hear some of these awful stories. Is there any, is there a personal element to why you introduced this legislation, Delegate? Sure. I think you're right about a lot of pieces of legislation. I actually cared for my father. Three years ago, he passed away in May, so it, it's still pretty fresh for me. He had cancer, and during the end days, he was in a situation that was not as, as friendly and helpful as I thought it should be. And that adds so much pain to the situation when you feel like someone isn't caring for someone that you love the way that you would or that you would trust for them to, to care for them. Uh, so that there is there is a personal story behind that, but I think also I've worked as a disabilities advocate for for many years, and have heard stories and have concerns about members of my own family as they age, if they need caregivers, at some point, and we all will actually be at that point where we are vulnerable, you know, if we're lucky, I right? And agreed. Uh, <laughs> and yes. as someone who has worked with Alzheimer's patients, I've worked with dementia and Parkinson's. My grandmother, as I was telling you offline, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's around 2009, 2010. We started noticing symptoms. Her friends and their, her, she was very social at the time, noticed some memory lapses. And then we quickly discovered uh, by taking her to some great doctors, they're up in Hagerstown, that she was suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's. And as a family, you make these hugely important decisions at that time and it's so personal delegate and my mother and I my stepfather and we're a smaller family we decided that we are going to become their primary caretakers my grandparents are still with us my grandmother's 87 now so we're we're blessed we're lucky but I have run into stories myself where people are mistreated and it's not just elderly it, it could be as you said it could be a disabled person it could be uh, someone who is unable to care for themselves because of a maybe a vehicle accident or whatnot, and caregivers or whomever is tending to them 24-7 or uh, throughout the day, there has been many circumstances where I have seen people who are 
inflicted with these terrible disorders, or rather terrible uh, situations. And you mentioned this story that, I got to tell you, it was absolutely horrific. People who worked in a nursing community, and I forget which state, were recently arrested for uh, baiting Alzheimer's, people who were in memory care, to fight one another. It was like a fight club. And when I read that, I I get emotional talking about it because I'm thinking, what if that were your dad or your mom or my grandparents? How heartbroken you would be. That horrible stuff. And I hope that they are prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law, you know? And how could this possibly happen? Well, I mean, I think that that story really illustrates how severe these situations can be. And certainly I introduced this bill before that episode happened. That was in the news probably two or three months ago. And um, But it's a good example of how you can actually not break a law and be horrifically torturous to another human being. And that in Maryland, those actions wouldn't be against the law without this piece of legislation. So I think the... Um, you know, some of the other stories that I've heard have, have revolved around folks who were in caregiving situations and had natural aging or natural extensions of their disabilities and have been mocked, put on the Internet. Um, another part of my bill initially, and it is worked into, into the greater bill now through amendments, but initially I had also divvied out specificity for people who put others on the internet in order to humiliate and to harm them, which is the example you just gave is a great one, and also for those who threaten to harm a pet, or uh, because that is actually something that, that does happen, unfortunately, and while you hate to have to legislate behaviors like that, sometimes legislation is, works as our better angels to well, remind us you know, what's okay and what's not okay. Agreed. And mm-hmm. some, of course, we, we would hope that human instincts mm-hmm. would take over and people would express their, 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 their deepest humanity that is inside of them. But we know that that's not always the case. And that's why state legislatures like Maryland has to legislate these actions, these, these bad behaviors and protect our vulnerable citizens. Let's talk a little bit about why the bill failed last year. Was it a particular was it particular language that uh, caused the bill to, to suffer its fate, in, right. <laughs> and, or uh, how did how did that work out? Yeah, what? actually, it's not as cruel as that. So mm. I, you know, I'm glad to. The bill didn't officially fail. The bill I did this bill introduction as my again the first bill that I did when I got here in Annapolis last year and. While I felt it went well and I was prepared as a psychologist to, to make the case that this is incredibly damaging and that it needs that people need to be protected from it, at the same time, I was still learning how to draft bill language. And I was still learning how to – this goes in, in front of the Judiciary Committee, which is, which is a, a really strenuous – <laughs> It's a tough. Uh, I, hearing. I, yes. I, I, I witnessed the testimony and the presentation from your, uh, from yourself and from others. And look, they have asked some reasonably tough questions, right? Well, I mean, they have, and that's their job. Many of them, not all, but many of them are attorneys. So yes. This is this is the type of work that they deal with. They mm-hmm. understand how laws need to be written to be effective and to be and to be protective. And they're also rightfully conservative about 
adding things to the criminal code, and I understand that. At the same time, again, I think sometimes there are instances, particularly when other states are protecting the most vulnerable among us, and we are not, when it's appropriate for Maryland to step up and do the right thing. So I hope that's what we'll do this year. Uh, agreed. D- Delegate, how, how do you get a sense of what's going to occur this session? Are you... Are you feeling confident that the bill has the uh, the votes to get out of the judici- Judiciary Committee and get onto the floor? You know what? I'm, I'm not sure. I feel much better about it this year, and I guess I didn't really answer your question before. So what happened last year after the hearing is that it sat there for quite a while, and then uh, the chairman of that committee actually called me and said, you know, let's talk about it. We're interested. We'd like to work on it. And um, then he actually offered to help me work over the interim on the bill and get it in better shape. And uh, certainly seeing where it started and where it is now, we've come a long way. So I think that that was the appropriate action. And I think what we have now is a much better piece of legislation, much more streamlined. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that with his help, with the fact that we do have the state's attorney's help and support on this, which is a, a pretty big deal because they're the ones that will have to be prosecuting this, um, and, and very, very little opposition. You, you, um, I'm I, hopeful. I saw that you had a member who was a representative of the AARP well, who certainly. testified for the bill, who told a very compelling story about mm-hmm. his grandson who asked about testifying. So that was a, a memorable moment. Another person whom you had testify was a woman who witnessed her sister categorically self-destruct a family over their father's uh, personal means and they even to the extent of moving the their her father out of the state I believe to Connecticut uh, and it, it caused a massive amount of pain and she told this harrowing story and and I think when she told her story that I, I just I sat back in awe and I'm thinking how could people family family be so destructive and of course we had you had a state's attorney there uh, who is supporting the bill so the testimony that you had um, seems to be uh, a, a a step in the right direction and I believe do you have Mako are they in support of this bill I don't know if that has any bearing whatsoever. Right. They actually, I don't believe they actually took a position on this bill one way or the other. Okay. Uh, which, which know, I, but, I, I'll go without a support. But, <laughs> but Bill Pitcher was there, and he was representing... He was representing the Maryland Psychological Association. And they're in support. They are. And yes. have you... And ARC and uh, the Dis- uh, Developmental Disabilities yeah. Council, uh, MAX, which is an interesting group because they're actually, they actually represent caregivers. And okay. they understand the necessity for this sort of legislation. So that says a lot to me as well. Delegate, in the Senate side, there was a hearing, I believe, what, yes, uh, Friday, last Friday. Was it last Friday? I believe it was Wednesday. So mine was Tuesday and his was Wednesday. Okay, yes. so last Wednesday. I'm getting my dates mixed up. See, it's already not even the middle of session yet, and here I am. I can't even remember what day it is. We're all busy, you, you especially. How did things go on the Senate side? I thought it went really well. Did you testify? Uh, I, I did not. I wrote a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually asked my um, sweet mate from last year, Delegate Charles Sidnor, who just moved and now is now Senator Charles Sidnor, who yeah. sort of lived this experience with me last year because he is also a member 
on the House side of the Judiciary Committee That's and, right. and heard this bill last time. So, so you know, we had had discussions over last session and over the interim about this bill as well. So I knew he understood it. And I was actually incredibly honored when he said that he would take this on as, I think, his first bill in the Senate. So wow. that's, that was impressive. And, um, you know, I, he, he's a great guy, and I know he'll have the respect of his committee there. So I feel like we're in a great place. The bill on the Senate side was presented before the Judicial Proceedings Committee, which yes. Will Smith chairs. He was on the show last week, and we actually talked about some end-of-life legislation. So that was certainly interesting. I am following the process of this bill. What happens next now, Delegate, with the bill? Well, what happens next is I meet and speak with everyone on my side, on the House side, in the Judiciary Committee, and certainly in the subcommittee, the criminal subcommittee, that uh, will bring this up for a vote. And last year it did not get a vote. Last year they said, take it out and let's, let's work on it. I'm hopeful this year it will get a vote and that will pass. And hopefully the same thing will happen in the Senate and then we'll make sure that the vote that the bills are reconciled and conform to one another. Do you have any objectors? You know, no. I mean, I, I haven't had any active opposition to the bill. Right. There was uh, there was one county that was concerned about uh, fiscal implications of more reports of abuse. And while I understand that, I actually think that um, sometimes we just have to make the right choices and, and make protecting vulnerable people a priority, even if it costs us a little bit more. And we're not talking about a lot of money here. Um, and I'm not convinced because we already actually asked people to report this, sorts of, this sort of abuse in Maryland yeah. that the reports would actually be that much greater. But it Reminds me of a scene from mm-hmm. the – I don't know if you've ever seen the HBO's The Newsroom. And it was a two-part series, and Jeff Daniels played a uh, a, a very wise and uh, cantankerous newsman um, in, at a makeshift, make-believe. Uh, well, it was for Hollywood, but it was written by Aaron Sorkin. Anything that's ever written by Aaron Sorkin has this deeply emotional appeal to people. Um, you, you may have seen the movie The American President back in it was. Uh, Michael Douglas played the president. Anyway, where I was going with this is you said we have to do things for the right reasons. And in the newsroom, Jeff Daniels was talking about how just America has fundamentally changed, and he was hearkening back to a time, and he said, look, we used to do things for moral reasons. We wrote laws. We did. We we broke. We passed laws for moral reasons. We helped people. And for me, this seems like a pretty cut and dry, this is a moral imperative. And if we get the legislation right, if the language is tweaked enough, I can see this piece of legislation having a dramatic effect once it's passed. And then when someone, and I hope it doesn't happen, I really hope it never has to happen in the state of Maryland. But if a caregiver subjects someone to this severe, pathological, consistent, malicious, emotional abuse, then they should be punished, right? That's how it should work. Sure. I think the other thing that this piece of legislation does, well, two other things come to mind. One is that it brings awareness to the issue. So we're basically letting people know that this is occurring and it's a problem. And it's not okay to treat people this way. Which is unfortunate that we have to teach them that, but but sometimes we do. And um, the other thing is that this never occurs in isolation, or very rarely occurs in isolation. So what what this does is give prosecutors another tool in the toolbox to go in and 
have reasonable cause to look at family interactions and um, My next and then to prosecute. Yeah. Delegate Stephanie Smith is going to be on subsequent you. So. And she is one of my best friends on Ways and Means, so she's a fabulous, See? fabulous guest. Um, she's going to come talk. She's the new Baltimore County uh, chair. So, or, no, uh, Baltimore, yes. City. Baltimore City. Baltimore City. Baltimore City. Well, we, Baltimore, is, for people outside of Maryland, Baltimore is an interchangeable uh, <laughs> noun it, it, because we often refer to Baltimore as the city, right? Or it could be Baltimore County. So even myself sometimes, I'm confused. <laughs> no, that's okay. They're very interrelated, and certainly yes. we uh, we we need a healthy relationship between the city and oh, the yeah. county in order for everyone to, to thrive. So. so now that we talked about this legislation, just as we wrap up, uh, what's happened in this session aside from this? How's things oh my going? Goodness. Um, I actually have quite a few pieces of legislation, so I may be up here every uh, Good. week talking to you. You're welcome, anytime. And they generally are bills that I feel are protecting vulnerable populations. Okay. That seems to be where... I feel that I need to, to be in the General Assembly. Yeah. Those folks need a voice, and, and that's why I feel I'm here. So my other priority bill, I'll just tell you quickly, before you talk to Delegate Smith, is uh, to uh, ask for a designated coordinator of autism strategy for the state of Maryland. This is a this is a heavy lift, but something that we've been putting off, and um, Maryland has the second highest rate of autism diagnosis in the, in the country. And again, um, it's a disability that affects so many people, and we're not prepared for the long-term effects of it. So we'll talk about that hopefully next time. Let's definitely talk about that. Uh, of course, autism is something that affects, what, one out of every 100? Uh, one out of 50 in Maryland. One out of 50, that's mm-hmm. that's high. It is. That's so it high. really touches almost every family. Wow. And I'm, I know someone who is autistic, and having that education um, will certainly help someone like myself who can better interact with people with autism. And um, But... Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you. Keep pushing, and I, I really appreciate this piece of legislation. It's personal, and as a journalist covering this piece of legislation, I got to tell you, it's hard sometimes to separate yourself from the mechanics of the legislation, the process. But my hope is that the other, uh, your colleagues in the House, and then of course over in the Senate, that they take this into their hearts and accept that this is really going to help people, and that if somebody does wrong then they're going to suffer a, uh, a consequence that uh, should be stern and uh, inflicted with, uh, hopefully, uh, without mercy. And I, I mean that. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you're doing this. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I really yes. appreciate the opportunity to talk about Anytime. this bill, try to drum up support and, and educate people about it. And I really appreciate your authentic care for thank this you. issue. Thank you, Delegate. Um, thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to a Minor Detail podcast. Are you interested in sponsoring an upcoming episode? Email me at ryan at a minor detail.com. We'll get it all set up. Be sure to subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Castbox, or wherever you download your podcast. Visit a minor detail podcast.com for the latest episodes. And for Maryland news and politics, visit a minor detail.com and subscribe to my daily newsletter. I'm Ryan Minor. See you next time.